Do you want to talk about books? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up a well-read life. Welcome back. This week, I'm continuing my conversation about Son of Dust by H.F.M. Prescott. If you missed the first episode, go back and listen to it to get familiar with some of the characters before you listen to this one. Also, there will be quite a few spoilers within the episode. I will try to warn ahead of time, but I just wanted to make that disclaimer before I went any further. Another quick note before I begin, there's one character I failed to mention last time, and his name is Abbott Osborne. He is towards the end of the book and has a very small part within the story, but he has a very significant role, especially in Falcon's life. Falcon and the Abbot have an interesting relationship, and when you read the novel, you will find out more about it. But Osborne is one of the only characters who is able to reason with Falcon and help lead him to God. He is a very godly man. He is very much a man of integrity, and he cares for the men in his abbey very much. And Towards the end, this is a little spoiler, Fulkin spends some time in the Abbey, and that's where their relationship blossoms, and that is when the Abbot is really able to see into the character of Fulkin and also speak into his life. So it's an important role, as I said, although it is a very small role. So I just wanted to give you a heads up about his character as well as you read the story. Now I'm going to dig into the heart of the novel a little bit more than I did last week. And as I was looking back over my notes and as I was reading the book, I couldn't help comparing it to the story of David and Bathsheba. Of course, this is medieval. This takes place in just a few years before the Norman conquest of England. But we have a longer time to see the tragedy unfold. So as you're reading it, maybe look and see if this strikes that memory in you as well. One of the things that struck me the most when I was reading Son of Dust was the depiction of human nature and how that can direct us to the heart of God and his love and his desire for our redemption. I mentioned this briefly in the last episode, but I want to talk about it a little bit more in some of the ways that you'll see it in the book. So this may contain some spoilers, so just be aware. If you would rather read the book before anything is spoiled for you, you might want to just go ahead and find a copy, read it, and then come back to this episode. So at the beginning of the book, we see this struggle that we have in human nature to overcome our baser desires. And Vulcan, at the very beginning, as I alluded to in the last episode, he is in love with this shepherdess. And instead of going about the regular way of courting her or even thinking that she is worth courting, he decides that he is going to force himself on her. But, of course, his brother gets there first. And after he sees the work of what his brother has done, what it's done to Custance, and just the vileness of what he was planning, he comes to loathe what he refers to as his flesh. So we're opening with this struggle of lust and reigning in desires. And 
this is what Vulcan is battling at the beginning of the book. And so you assume that he is going to overcome because he's so disgusted with his desire for Custance, what he wanted to do to her. So there's this hope as the reader that he will continue on this path. He decides he wants to go join a monastery to go and fight this temptation that he won't give into it anymore. This is would be an easy way to do this. But that does not play out as the reader first thinks. The novel really can be divided into those who struggle with the flesh and fail, and those who give into their baser nature without guilt or remorse. And Fulcan is one of those who struggles with his flesh and fails often. So there is that hope and the beginning that when confronted with his lust and what it does and how harmful it is, that he'll turn the other way and fight against it, flee temptation, that he will go and devote himself to God. But that's not how it plays out. Instead, he goes to see his uncle. They go to the court of the Duke of Normandy, who is William the Conqueror, and he sees the wife of a nobleman and falls in love with her. And this is where it gets really hard and very tricky for him, because before it was just lust with Custance. He just desired her. She was beautiful. And he didn't have any thought of pursuing anything beyond satiating his lust. But when he sees and meets Ald, he is in love with her and he cannot overcome his desire and his love and and direct it in the right way. So that nature, that human nature of wanting to take what he thinks is rightfully his because he loves her, he's going to battle with this throughout the novel. And I appreciate that Prescott portrays it this way. And I'll talk about this more in a minute, but she's not giving easy answers within this. So throughout the novel, as Fulcan battles his desire, his love for Ald, and not necessarily his love being ordered in the right way. So his, his love is disordered in that he can't see beyond his love for Ald and thinking that he has to be the savior for her. And he will defy anyone in order to have her. He will go against God and all man and all family in order to have his desire. And there's this wonderful quote at one point where we see the struggle played out between his knowing what he should do, the right thing in submitting this desire to God or pursuing this passion. And by this time, they, he succumbed to adultery with all. He's trying to decide if he should go to the bishop to seek absolution and repent for what he's done and how he still cannot let go of Ald. By this time, they have found out that her husband did not die. There is, I'm going to have to spoil a little bit, at the very beginning of the novel, before Ald and Fulcan give in to their adultery, they think that they have killed her husband, and they believe it was done in self-defense. And then they find out that he is not dead, and Ald leaves because she must follow duty. And she cannot give in to Fulcan at that point because she believes that sin and she is going against God and she cannot do that. When she thought her husband was dead, she had no problem with their relationship because she thought she was a free woman. But when she found out she wasn't, she would cut things off even though she loves Fulcan deeply. So all of this is playing out in Fulcan's mind and in his heart. And I want to share this quote as he's trying to decide what to do, whether to go to the bishop and repent, or if he continues on his way and trying to get Ald back. Prescott writes, he knew that he needed one thing, to go to God at seas. He needed it because he was alone, but far beyond that, he needed it so that he could cry out on God, importuning him to remember her danger. And he could not go because when he went and when he beat on the door imploring mercy, 
he must renounce her. So I wanted to include that quote because it really shows his fight against this love for Ald, although it's disordered, and this calling to go back to God. And he's warring with it. And it's so beautifully portrayed because, it's again, it's not an easy answer. And it's so much like what we would face in real life. If you really love this person, you do not want to let them go and how difficult it is to do so. So again, that's one of the things that really drew me in about this story, this portrayal. I don't like infidelity in books, but this isn't exactly condoning it. It is showing this is how this would play out. If this were to happen in life, this does happen. And how does one either submit to God or follow your own path? Some of the other ways that we're going to see, you'll see this war with, with human nature and this really pushing to direct us to the heart of God. So there's going to be adultery and lust. We also will see murderous plots. There is a temptation for the characters to rid themselves of those who are inconvenient to them and in the way of attaining their desire. So people become almost dispensable in some of the characters' eyes. And we see this in Falcon and Ald planning and hoping for the death of her husband and Garoy planning the death of his brother and Alice trying to kill Falcon with devastating consequences for Robert. And as this human nature comes to fruition, as some characters follow their own desires and others war against the desires, we see the devastating nature of this playing out and how it harms others. It's not didactic in any way. Prescott shows the natural consequences of what becomes when we follow our own hearts. And many times it is more harmful to others than it is to ourselves. Fulcan is the one that we see this the most with, how he is so self-focused and his desire is so strong and he's trying so hard to look out for Ald that he does it to the detriment of everyone else around him. He doesn't care who is harmed or destroyed as long as he has what he wants. And that could be the ruin of his family estate. It could be the death of his uncle. It could be the murder of Ald's husband, his betrayal to the Duke after he has said that he would follow him and honor him, his complete disgust for the commandment of God in honoring Ald's marriage. Near the end of the book, Fulcan is at a monastery I mentioned with Abbot Osborne, and the abbot observes this about his character. He's watching Fulcan, and he's been studying him, and Prescott says, For that was Fulcan, a man who walked with his eyes on a far distance and simply did not see clear anything that came between. So much destruction comes from Fulcan's short-sightedness. Tragedy upon tragedy befall the characters in the novel after Fulcan and Ald consummate their love and embark on this adulterous affair. I have mentioned much of it already. It's tragic to see Fulcan's family nearly decimated, their loss of land and wealth and the favor of the Duke and the lives of some just so Fulcan can have his heart's desire. And I mentioned earlier, I wanted to talk a little bit more about how Prescott doesn't offer us easy answers within the novel. So we have these things set up. So you see the human nature playing out and it's not easy. And one of the things is that she really shows that renunciation is not always a one-time thing. So throughout the book, as Fulkin gives into his desires and then, but then he'll have moments of he renounces his desire, but not 
quite all the way. He can't quite let, let go of Ald, but he goes from trying to fight against giving into his love for her at the very beginning before anything happens and then starting an affair, almost murdering her husband. Then he's excommunicated. But then he goes on when Ald leaves him, he goes on a pilgrimage. He tries to make things right. He goes for absolution and he sees the vision of Christ on the cross. And this is beautiful moment of realizing how Christ carries our sin and how he desires for reconciliation and the love that he has for us. But he's okay for a certain amount of time. He can renounce Ald for a small amount of time. And then Ald's husband dies, and he immediately goes to her, thinking that she will be ecstatic to see him, that they can run off together. He's warned by people, don't do this, it's too soon. He does it anyway. And Ald, who is overcome with guilt, as much as she loves Vulcan, she will have nothing to do with him. This is her moment of reckoning. And she sends him away and he leaves Ald where she is standing over the body of her husband. This is they have this whole conversation over the body of her husband, the dead body of her husband. And at this moment, he finally goes to the monastery and he finally gives himself over to God. But that is not the end of the novel. And there is still more to come of fighting his love for Ald and picking up that desire again. So I will leave that there and let you discover it in the book for yourself. Continuing along the vein of how Prescott does not offer us easy answers and how we see human nature playing out in our lives. Fulcan and Ald are deeply in love and they're devoted to each other. So I've, I've mentioned this before. Ald is abused by her husband and could face death because of her affair with Fulcan. So these are everything to make you pull for these two being together. So what do we do with this love? And not just it's not just lust which Ald and Fulcan share. This is the journey Prescott takes us through in Son of Dust. The novel inherently fights against easy answers. It makes it a realistic depiction, a mirror of the reality in which we find ourselves. Fulcan and Ald have every right and justification to condone their illicit relationship, and yet they cannot be at peace in the path they have chosen. It must be God first, or their love is doomed. And here I'm thinking of how disordered this relationship is, the love of this relationship. What they have chosen to violate isn't merely a list of arbitrary or harsh rules, but a very deep violation of love for God and others. And this was something I thought of as I was reading it. It's so easy for us to go in and just look and think, oh, these are just a set of rules that God would make, and it just is to keep other people unhappy. But through this novel, we see it's not just that. This is saying that you're going to choose loving someone else above God who loves you and the other person more than you could ever know and is only looking out for your best interest and how much it harms other people. And if we go through life and we want to look at ourselves and our own happiness merely without thinking of others, which is such a temptation find myself falling into it all the time. We all do. We can bring irreparable harm to others. And having this rule, if you want to say, this commandment from God isn't out of hatred or trying to keep us from having any fun in life. It is because it violates the love of others and the love of God. Vulcan's love for Ald is dangerously close to the worship of her. And Fulcan is afraid to receive God's love. There's this very interesting section in the book, this quote that I'm about to share. 
about how Vulcan views God's love. It's very misconstrued. So I want to read that to you very quickly and then continue with it. Another quote to follow up. But Vulcan, groping in the dark places of his mind, had found that the thing that he dreaded should forbid him human love was not God's anger, but his love itself, which, greedy, bitter, insatiable as any hate, would allow no other object but itself. So this is Fulkin's view of God's love, and this is still towards the end of the book. And while it is somewhat true, his perception is still off, and it's still clouding how he's able to see love for God and love for others. But I want to read another quote to follow that up towards the end of the novel, where Vulcan is finally able to receive the love of God. He's finally able to put to rest this war that he's been fighting between what he believes God is asking of him, of this desire of his heart and his flesh, and the true nature of God's love. And I want to share this because this is also something that can be so misconstrued in our own lives. Here was the end of all his fear. He had dreaded God for the enemy of love, and he was the giver of it. Now, in a still amazement, he knew that of all the whole flood of his own invincible, tender, serviceable love, the love that he had known for the life of his soul and dreaded to lose, God only was the source. Love came, strong, flowing from that exhaustless fountain. It passed through him, a human conduit, and poured itself out upon Ald, Ald that God loved. So when Vulcan is finally able to see the true nature of God's love, that he is the giver of love, he is not the enemy of it, as Prescott says, he is finally able to receive God's love for himself. And he is finally able to love all as he should. The ending of the novel was surprised me. It is beautiful, but it was not what I expected. And I don't want to spoil that for you because I want you to read it for yourself. I expected differently and I was pleasantly surprised. Although towards the end, I was like, I don't know about this. I'm not so sure, Prescott. I'm not so sure what you're doing. But in the end, when I finished it and I closed the book, I could see the masterful work that she did. And I loved it and I appreciated it so much. This is a tragic novel in so many ways. It does give hope at the end, so don't despair, but it has so many qualities that I admire in a good tragedy. I realize that sounds like an oxymoron. I've mentioned before that one of the reasons I love Shakespeare is I first learned about human nature from his plays. There I learned about the depths of evil which are born from jealousy, revenge, greed, and hatred. Few are immune to its powers through tragedies, the good ones. The writer helps point the audience's gaze heavenward to a tangible picture of our need for redemption. They help us understand this need, and in a way, they have made me long for redemption in the human heart even more. I find this in Son of Dust, a novel which gives me a heavenward gaze, in spite of its tragic and messy depiction of the foibles of humanity. It also dismantles this misconstrued view of the love of God and points us to the heart of God and his love and his desire for our redemption. I hope that you will read Son of Dust. I have thoroughly enjoyed the book. I have just received a copy of her book, The Man on the Donkey, and I am eager to start reading that. I have loved her writing. It pulled me into this world of 
Normandy in the years right before the conquest of England. She is a master at her craft, and I hope you will come to appreciate her work as much as I have. Well, that's all for this week. I'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you. So if you have a book suggestion, if you just want to have a little bookish conversation, you can email me at beth at a wellreadlife.com. I also have a website that's still in the works. You can also find me there. It's a wellreadlife.com. And I'm also on Instagram at wellreadbeth. Enjoy your week. Until next time. Thank you.